Welcome to the Danny Goldberg Rock and Rolls Hour. In this podcast, Danny shares his longtime connection to the path of the heart, as well as his very engaged life of social activism. If you are interested in supporting Danny's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Danny. Hi, this is Danny Goldberg, and this is the 20th uh, podcast of Rock and Rolls, and I have a special guest today, David Broza. Since 1977, David's been working to bring the message of peace and masses in Israel and elsewhere by joining the peace movement. He, he sings often what has become the anthem of the, of the Israeli peace movement. And David, you pronounce it because I'm going to get it wrong. I'd like to hear you say it. Let's see if it transcends beyond. Okay. Yehe Tov. Pretty close. Yeah, Yehe Tov. Okay. That's good. It, things, it means uh, things will be better, which became like, um, it, did, it did, it's kind of uh, um, an anthem. I don't know if, if that would be the right word because we like to keep things in a very folky way or more uh, grassrooty way and not a massive way. Um, and maybe that's also the failure of the peace movement. Well, I don't know. I, I'm told that many thousands of people sing this song with tears yeah. in their eyes. So that's, uh, that's uh, to me, an anthem. But I actually first, yeah. we first met in 2010 when you recorded Night Dawn, uh, which was songs that you wrote to the unpublished poetry of Towns Van Zandt. And uh, the thing I particularly want to talk about today, although not exclusively, is, is the record that you made in 2014 uh, called East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem. It was recorded in the Palestinian Sabrine studio in East Jerusalem, uh, produced by two mutual friends, Steve Greenberg and my client and our mutual dear friend, Steve Earle. And uh, it was a collaborative work of Israeli and Palestinian musicians, engineers, cameramen, chefs, and others. There is a documentary called East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem about this, which is just beautiful. And when does it arrive on Netflix, David? Is it there now or coming soon? Coming on uh, September 15th. September so. 15th. So that should be just around the time that this, that this is up. So I urge everybody to see it. It's just, it's just gorgeous. Thank you. Um, so, David, to give listeners a little bit of your background, uh, how, how did you come to the Israeli peace movement? It was the result of, of serving in the armed forces, was it not? Uh, no, not really. It, it's a result of coming from the family I grew up in, and I was born into. Um, my parents were very active um, on, on political issues. Um, as as civilians, uh, but they were, their their house was always a meeting place uh, for new political uh, uh, ideas and ideologies. So I, I kind of saw that. But then my grandfather, who was kind of a unique person, uh, and I was very lucky to be born as his grandchild. I feel because um, he was uh, a pioneer in many ways. Uh, he was. He was English-born and, and arrived in uh, Palestine in 1925 from England um, and, and became immersed in the Zionist ideal. Uh, but over the years, uh, and I'm talking about much later, back in the, 
in the late 60s, he was convinced that one of the missing links to making a life which is bearable in the Middle East and is, uh, um, uh, can, be, can be extended beyond just an ideal but and become a real uh, place to live in, uh, the missing link was education for peace. Uh, he said, everybody, you can go to schools for war, military schools um, of sorts, but there is no real program that um, will equip young people to become older people and older people to become healthier in mind um, by educating them to conflict resolution ideas and philosophies, to coexistence. So he, he, he had this in mind and... I remember I was I was way too young uh, when he just started this in right after the Six Days War in 1967. I was just barely 11, 11 going 12. Um, but you were living in Israel at that time? Yeah, or- I was living in Israel. And, and just then, uh, after the Six Days War, my parents moved to Madrid, Spain. Uh, and I have a sister, so uh, we all moved there, the four of us. And I spent my teenage years in Spain. Uh, but, my, but at one point, my... Um, it turned out that I, uh, the school I was going to in Madrid, and I was 16 by then, um, recommended that I I go elsewhere in the new year uh, that was going to come. And so my parents moved me to a boarding school in England, a very religious, uh, orthodox Jewish school called Carmel College. And, um, and the, where, where this connects is that I remember my grandfather visiting me there and giving me uh, leaflets to spread around the school, which were promoting the idea of education for peace. And that was a very renegade kind of pioneering uh, left wing, completely out of the curricular uh, kind of thing. And the school, uh, it got me into a lot of trouble in school. Uh, <laughs> I was, I would imagine that didn't go with the orthodox uh, view of the universe. Exactly. It's a, it was something that was way too advanced for them to, to, to follow or to accept. And, um, but it, it struck something with me as without knowing because it's something I'm very I'm too young to analyze it at the time and and it bonded me with my grandfather as somebody who's a renegade somebody who thinks in his own lines and will do everything to bring his thoughts and ideas and ideals into realization so I started aspiring to be closer to him when I finally made it back to Israel I went to the army I was um, almost 19. I came back and, and enlisted with the army for the three-year service, and I was living there. I, I stayed at my grandparents' house in Tel Aviv because my parents were still living in Spain, and that got me into deep conversations with my grandfather on a daily basis, mm. and and those conversations led to excursions that he was doing in looking for a place to establish a village which would be lived in by Israelis and Palestinians, by Jews, Muslims, and Christians alike. Um, and I, I, I just went to all these meetings while he was searching for people and collecting young people. Now, all, all the people he was talking to were maybe in their 30s. So they're very young, and I was 19, um, and I went along with him, and we found, and he found the place to make this happen, which is a little hilltop between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, in what was then uh, no man's land, uh, although it was part of Israel, but before the 1948, uh, or right after the 1948 uh, War of Independence, as we call it, uh, this was a no man's land where Israeli politicians and Arab politicians would actually meet 
secretly on that hilltop. And that became what is now known as Neve Shalom, Wahat al-Salam, which means Oasis of Peace, which is a thriving village of Israelis and Arabs, uh, Jews, Muslims, and Christians who live together and share the, the burden of, of creating a, a, a civil um, uh, village uh, and civility, but really writing the curricula for education, which they then s- spread around the world. And it's the only village of its kind. Um, that actually profess and and live by the by their ideals of um, conflict resolution and and coexistence and wow. remarkable. how many how many people approximately live there now right now there would, I think there are something like sixty families mm. so half half <clears throat> Jewish and half arab right uh, they're growing uh, but they're very selective uh, but it's also what they did is the land that originally this the the little hilltop was inhabited by one monk a dominican monk who was a converted jew who converted to christianity and he held there a hermitage and you could go there and and basically um, uh, meditate or contemplate and be there without speaking to anyone in a little shack and his name was father bruno my grandfather found him and he agreed to host these meetings and to host a settlement there. And so they, they basically leased, the, my grandfather found a way to lease the land for 100 years from the Vatican. And over the years, the Israeli government uh, agreed to uh, exchange this uh, land for other land and making it part of Israel and making it an official Israeli village. As, and, and the school that they've established there, which takes in all the children from the age of kindergarten or before, like toddlers, two-year-olds, until the end of middle school, all the children go to school together, le- learning bilingual uh, curriculum and also learning about each other's faiths, religions, and ideologies. It's a very wholesome place. And, and many of my friends who are cynical would say, yeah, but what a failure. There is no peace. I say, well, as long as there is no peace, this place is as relevant as any, if more, more relevant than any, because that is the place where you practice and get ready for the day after, the day after the signing of the peace, or whatever that day will be when people will actually learn to respect one another. And they've had hundreds of thousands of people come into their conferences, into their courses, your three-day courses, um, and they walk away, you know, whether they're teachers, all kinds of professions, students and youth who come to spend time there because they've built a little hotel, they've got a way residencies that they can create and they bring in students from all over the world to study their curriculum and take it back to their universities it's really fascinating so when in 1978 77 actually when president anwar sadat arrives in israel and that starts the the peace process comes out in that's full. the peace process between egypt and and israel right yes. and actually setting setting the path for the peace process in general which we're still dealing with um, when I was when I when I was um, in you know I was in Israel at the time and um, and I was starting my career musical career and I was uh, performing with Israeli poet by the name of Jonathan Geffen Jonathan Geffen who's a very outspoken he's kind of the Lenny Bruce of Israel um, in the cynical world in the sarcastic world in the funny world but also very serious in his politics and also extremely popular in in his poems. He writes amazing poetry and plays, he's a playwright. And book. he's been your collaborator on many, many songs, is that right? Exactly, yes. And so that, that first song, the first song we wrote together was when President Anwar Sadat of Egypt 
set foot on Israeli soil for the first time. And Yonatan wrote this poem commemorating that moment and asking me to write music to it so we can perform with it in, in our show because I was, I was accompanying Yonatan on his, on his performances. He was performing, reading poetry and making political and, and uh, funny commentaries. Very entertaining, but also <clears throat> very challenging. Um, and I was his sideman uh, sharing the stage with him. And so this was the first piece of music I wrote. And that song was the song, Things Will Be Better. Mm. And as the peace process started, the, the, the prime minister of, of Israel, Israel at the time was Menachem Begin, who is from the right and from the Likud, uh, right-wing party, um, had a very difficult time getting the support of his party to this peace process. He had a hard time. So he had to have the people's support. So now the left wing of Israel are, are, you know, are, are being challenged by the right, by Menachem Begin, and they, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, kind of um, grassroots movements taking place, but the main one is one that uh, is being called Peace Now, Shalom Achshav. And that was, that was established by five or six people. One of them is Tzali Reshef, who was running it for many, many years. And uh, Yair Tzaban, another left-wing politician, and others. <clears throat> and they needed, uh, as they were doing their rounds in the, in the, around the country, they would, we, they would go to little towns and, and areas, agricultural areas, and just put a stage and bring megaphones and, you know, and, and signs and, and try to create support for the... For the for Menachem Begin and for the peace process, um, they needed a singer. They needed a, a somebody to you know be out there, the poet, the, the clown, and uh, and and I had that song, and that song was playing nonstop on radio, um, and they called me, and I was you know again that takes me back to my grandfather. This is it. This is what I've been right been pampered and trained for uh, without really a, there was no, nobody ever told me this was going to happen. So I took. I took that uh, role and I joined their, their movement and we went from town to town and amassed a huge support for the peace process and Menachem Begin was able to carry through all the way to Camp David and bring, bring back the first peace agreement which is still stern and strong today thank, with Egypt. Thank God, that's the one yeah. that, that has held all these years. Well, uh, uh, of course... We're having this conversation in 2016, many decades later, and there has not been much more uh, progress in the government political level in in peace. Um, do you think that that kind of sentiment could be created in modern in modern Israel with a different population, different times, and obviously more than a decade of a different kind of government? What what, what I, I I can't ask you to predict the future. But as an artist, what's your feeling uh, about the potential uh, for something like that to happen uh, going forward? Well, Danny, you know, I'm I may be not a very, I mean, an immediate pragmatic person, but I'm uh, a, I'm a, a constant uh, positive thinker. I, I cannot think any other way about life than in positive uh, mm. ways, which which makes me rationalize a lot of things. So. Let me try to explain to anybody who's listening, who, who's trying to understand how can peace come to the Middle East and to the world is a different story. But let's start with, with just yeah, the that. Middle East, and it's certainly an area where many people feel hopeless today. Right. So let's let's just take the picture of how Israel was created 
and with with uh, people who are traumatized. Forget about the Holocaust, which you can't forget, but that's a major mover in and a major um, um, uh, instant in 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 human in the human history, which created a mass movement of hundreds of thousands and millions of people who are displaced just by, just from the Jewish faith. Forget about the other all the other intellectuals and other peoples who were affected by the Second World War. But here, these are people who are displaced, feel are are unwanted. They have to find new locations. Not not many options there. The United States is limiting the mm-hmm. the number of, of immigrants. South America is open, but it's completely strange. And Europe is closer to the Middle East. And there's the Zionist movement. And there's the promise for a homeland and for a place for Jews to be Jews and etc. Cetera, et cetera. So the, there's a mass movement towards the Middle East. Now these are all battered people, displaced people. Then you have all the the movement of the North African communities coming in from Morocco and from Tunisia and Libya. And then you have the Iraqi and the Egyptian Jews and the Syrian, and everybody's converging and moving on that little piece of land, which is inhabited, you know, somewhat peacefully, but actually has always been occupied, whether it was by by the British and, and before that by the Turks. And now it's there's this Jewish, massive Jewish movement. So there, there starts to be a real unrest and uneasiness in the settlement and the building of a new society and a new community in the Middle East, which is comprised of Jews from all over the world, but they're Jews and they're going to be speaking now Hebrew, which is the language introduced to the region. And all the politics are somewhat mostly European-minded, Western-minded, democratically driven, but also, you know, they're dictating democracy to the Jews of Morocco, to Jews of Tunisia, the Jews of Libya, the Jews of all over the world, of, of the Soviet bloc, so there's unrest and uneasiness. And for the next 68 years, where we are now, 68 years, we have the unrest of the un- discomfort uh, and the many, many mistakes that are made, a, which are human mistakes, but are, are terrible mistakes. Some of them are violent, which lead to terrorism and lead to unrest and lead to wars. And so these people, the people of the Middle East, which are, for me, it's the predominantly the Israeli population and then this, the Arab population and around it, the, the Arab countries, can't get used to this overnight. And then when suddenly in 1977, President Anwar Sadat comes to the conclusion that the only way to bring a settlement to the the, the, the area and, and some uh, vision of peace is to actually go to Israel, extend the hand of peace, you know, the peace pipe, and let everybody, you know, build on a, on a, on a safer future. So it does. It cannot happen overnight. So and of course, he was murdered by uh, by an Islamist. By an he Islamist had. who who pers- uh, believed to be precisely because he he made peace with Israel. But that's yeah. But that was on a religious basis. It's not. This is not even pol- political basis. Right. But there's so many sides that have to be studied in order to understand the situation. What I'm thinking psychologically and emotionally, and and even pragmatically, is I don't think that you can. If you study the, 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 what, what the society is made up of, all these people who have been moved to Israel come from, some of them come from shocking experiences that takes them a lifetime to get over and they're very suspicious and they distrust and they're hurt. And then there's, and that, that creates more uneasiness because we, we're not settled yet. We're not, you know, 68 years do not make a, a country, a, a, a settled country yet. It's, we're still building and creating and proving ourselves. So we're going through the, the I think, the, the um, evolution 
And that evolution is painful for you, Danny, and for me, because that's the only life we're going to know. We're not going to watch the result of what we're living through, which will come maybe two generations from us. Right, and even right. do we know that it's going to be better? But what I, my point is, is that when you say, so not much has changed since 1977, and that peace process has never come to anything, I'm, I, I would like to say you're wrong because, and not, I'm not saying it to you in a critical way, I just want to, I want to enlighten you and show you how much, how much progress has been made. First of all, Egypt is on, is, has maintained the peace process, the peace agreement. Jordan has maintained the peace agreement. And now over the years, and also with the rise of Daesh and ISIS and the extremism in the, in, um, in the Islamic world towards the, the West, um, the, the Sunni governments that feel, feel threatened and the Shiites, and everybody's in, 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 in conflict with each other, for some reason, it get, does give an opening to Israeli mediation, to Israeli involvement in a positive way to help control the situation from an, an aspect that I don't necessarily support, but I can't deny, which is a military aspect. They help to control the Sinai Peninsula for the Egyptian government. They, I'm, You hear, I mean, we only hear in the press here and there when you read in between the lines that Israel and Saudi Arabia are actually in touch on how to fight in, in, in help help the the um, the Yemeni uh, in Yemen, the f- fighting the Iranians, and I mean Israel is suddenly becoming a player in the Middle East. This is only a result of 68 years of of being there and and uh, enable and being Israel being able to uh, to establish itself as a, as a partner to the Middle East and not as a, as an enemy of the Middle East. So and if think- you'll if you'll permit me to just shift focus for a moment in the conversation, I'd like you to tell people listening about on a micro level the 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 artistic and person-to-person work that you've that you've done and especially yep. maybe start with the story of east jerusalem west jerusalem yep so having looked at the big picture the small picture takes us back to my grandfather and how i was shown that through coexistence through education through um through open-mindedness and and acceptance of the other, you can actually build a bridge. But that, again, takes time. It's an evolutionary thing. And so what we do is, um, when I when I am introduced back in 1999 to these wonderful musicians from East Jerusalem who are members of the, the group Sabrin, which is a, a, a mythologic, uh, the real founder and the starter of uh, contemporary Palestinian music, mm. pop and folk, and so this is a Palestinian group. It's a Palestinian group. The leader of it is a gentleman, a great guy by the name of Saeed Murad, who has become a very close and personal friend to me, uh, besides the music. The music came later. And, and his partner is it's, uh, Issa Frej, who actually is the, 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 the uh, uh, a cameraman in our film, East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem. But... That is also a result of our friendship because I, I want to include everybody in, in my projects. Part of my, my joy in, in being a musician is a bit my ability to strike friendships and, and then nurture them through playing together. Just like sportsmen, you know, they, they become a team and so they work together, yeah. they play yeah. together. That's my language is through music and through, fo- and through poetry. So I was introduced to them in 1999 and we became very close friend. it was friends. It was... Uh, it was a slow process, something I am very good at. I think my stamina is constant, but my ability to 
I'm kind of, I consider myself as a, a long-distance runner. Mm. I'm certainly not a sprinter. Not a sprinter at all. Never was. Even when I was in sports, I was a gold medalist and 1,500 uh, yards uh, of uh, swimming, freestyle, and four styles, 400 meters, you know. So I was always a long-distance kind of guy, never a sprinter. Mm. So for me, I think it, it, it's, it says it all about everything that I do, which takes a long time. And, um, and, I, and I maintain relationship with these ideals and projects and visions. So my, I didn't really have a vision with Said Murad and Sabrin, but I suddenly found myself in a relationship that was so, so humble and so honest and had no interests and had no, uh, no agenda that I was able to maintain and grow a relationship on, on, on a basis of me visiting East Jerusalem and the studio of Sabrin, which is in East Jerusalem, um, on a regular basis, uh, having spending most of the time eating and drinking and drinking coffee and meeting more friends and getting acquainted with, with their pace and them getting acquainted with an Israeli who comes in without any agenda and not asking for anything and not wanting to show the world what we're doing. How, on the contrary, wanting to just live the friendship and let it grow to the, to the degree that over the years, I slowly started bringing projects, musical projects, which we did together. Uh, one started with my first Spanish album that I recorded in East Jerusalem, which is called Parking Completo, which was uh, produced by one of the greatest uh, music producers of Spain who agreed to come to East Jerusalem. His name is Javier Limon. He worked with uh, Paco de Lucia, Buica, and a lot of great artists from the Spanish flamenco world. And he came and produced this album and was enamored, really became very, very inspired by, by the environment, just like Steve Earle was to come later. Yeah. And then back in, in, in 2009 and 10, um, I started thinking about making this next album in East Jerusalem, and I had to write the music, so I wrote the songs and started putting together all the ideas. I remember our conversations, my conversations with you, Danny, where yeah. you said this could be something that would really be uh, insp inspirational and bring the attention to your work uh, and, and to your music. And so you should, you should don't be afraid to take that on uh, and bring it into your, into the, into, you know, show it to the world. And it, it really encouraged me. So I, I started working on this thing. And when I eventually was ready, I came to Saeed Murad and said, would you be open to my bringing my next project, which will be an album uh, which will feature mostly American songs, the songs in English that I write, but will bring my Israeli band over, and I'll find a producer who will, you know, like Javier Limon did with, with my Spanish album, I'll bring somebody who is more of an, has an American um, identity in the music and in the poetry and in his philosophy and everything. And he was so open, he said, well, it's about time. So I was, I, I was it just gave me more confidence that this will be an experience not just about making an album. It will be an experience about making our friendship even deeper because we will now be committed to each other in the universal language of English. I knew that this is going to be going out to the world and I wanted this to have an, 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 an American flavor to it because also the American market is very, very interesting to me and I think, I think it's, there's so much for me to explore in it and I need... I need my music to be out there in order for me to explore deeper. And, and I, I, I had a list of possible producers, and, um, 
And I want to I want to say this whether you leave it in or edit it out, but I want to remind you, Danny, that it was in a meeting we had at, over lunch in Chicago at a Peace Now luncheon when you said, "Why didn't you call Steve Earle? I think he'd really like this project." And I'm thinking, and to myself, I'm thinking, Steve is probably the last person who want who will want to go because of his he's such an outspoken and opinionated uh, politically that he he'll probably say no. So I said, okay, maybe he'll be the first that I should call, and that way I will eliminate. The possibility right from the start, and I called him. I called Steve Earle, and his immediate reaction was, "Hell yeah, I'm coming right away." I said, "Oh wait, I don't even know if I can afford you." He said, "Now forget about the money. I want to come. I'm going to do it." And I was so thrilled because it was I was not expecting his, you know, him him coming forward in such a forced and, and an honest way. And it turned out not only did he listen intently to my music that we were going to be producing in the studio he came completely ready with a production in mind and then for eight days and eight nights while we sat in the studio and we had the israeli crews um, first of all the, the israeli engineers and the palestinian engineers then my israeli band coming in and then the palestinian musicians slowly trickling in and coming and then the the film crews which are israeli and palestinian and then the food coming in and steve earl was I don't I he would have to one one day he would have to tell me what went on in his mind, but it was eight days and Steve was just eyes open ears perked did his work but constantly taking in information as if he was read he was actually living a book that he wanted to write it was like he's taking in all this and until the final track that we recorded he said literally nothing he was just taking. He was taking it in and in and in. And on the last day, when I said, that's it, we, I mean, we both said, that's the last song. We did it. It's 7.30 in the evening. It's time to go and have dinner. As every night, we had dinner at 8 o'clock, which was served by Israeli and Palestinian chefs. Amazing food and amazing camaraderie. And people assembled around the table to eat and drink and talk and just feel at ease, uh, both Israeli and Palestinians. Suddenly, Steve said, can I do something now? I said, sure. And he took the guitar. And for the next hour and a half, he gave us a very intimate concert in the studio while between every song, he's explaining his life, his take on life, his take on, on occupation, his take on, on freedom, on expression of freedom. Except it was mind-boggling. And to me, that was, that was it. To me, I, we bonded for life. Well, I urge everybody to see the, the documentary that you produced because it, it, it does capture this collaboration. Uh, it reminded me a little bit in watching the Muscle Shoals documentary about the wow. great uh, musicians in the in the 60s and 70s who worked with artists like Steve Winwood and Aretha Franklin and dozens of Wilson Pickett and hundreds of hit records, which was a racially integrated group of musicians in yeah. Alabama at a time when there were huge racial tensions in that state and the legacy of slavery and the Confederacy and, and segregation that somehow the language of music just pushed all that uh, uh, political and historical stress to the background. Is, is that, did, did politics ever come into it or, or is this sheer commitment to making music together allow, allow everybody to forget about that while, while you're making the music? That's a very good question. I'll tell you something, I was, it's quite shocking. When we scheduled the date uh, for the uh, start of the recording, 
which was going to be January 20th, 2013, I scheduled it based on, on Steve's availability. January was going to be a good month for him to break away from everything and come for a week, two weeks if needed. And so I, I, I booked everything. I booked the, the studio. I booked the musicians, the chefs. Everybody was ready to come, the cameraman, everything. And three weeks before that, we start, or maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe it was six weeks, but it was a very short time. It was maybe mid-December. There, there was a political um, um, breakdown of the government, and, uh, and they, there was an announcement that there will be elections. And the elections were going to take place on January 22nd, 2013. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, even if I want to break away from politics, it ain't going to happen. Because we're going to be watching everything that's you know, on the media all these days coming up to the the 22nd of January, and we're going to be in the studio as of the 19th in the evening and starting recording on the 20th. And needless to say, this is going to be something that's going to be on our minds hour after hour after hour. So, you know, on January 22nd, instead of starting the studio recordings at 11 o'clock in the morning, as which was my plan every day to be in the studio from 11 to 6, which I think are the best hours for me at least. <clears throat> and... Um, at, at about 9 o'clock in the morning, we had a van pick all of us up, and it was Steve Earle's opportunity to actually become and be a, uh, an observer from the outside, yet very much on the inside, to the, to the election process in Israel, which is, you can't be more political than that. And, and we're going out from East Jerusalem. And we're going to come back to East Jerusalem in the evening after, after voting because everybody in the studio had to go and vote. The Palestinians did not. They, um, they may, I think, no, they, didn't have a, they don't have a voting right there on these issues. They can have on municipal issues, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. So we had to leave the studio, uh, the, the hotel rather, which was in East Jerusalem as well, the Ambassador Hotel. And we were picked up and we were driven to Tel Aviv because all my musicians are from the Tel Aviv area. And every, each and every one of them went to where they had to vote in their neighborhoods. And Steve Earle stayed with me in, uh, in Tel Aviv and with our tour guide, George Hoish, who's an amazing, amazingly knowledgeable person. And so uh, Steve came with me to the, to the uh, election poll and uh, literally went all the way in and watched me as I voted. And then out and, and, and the confrontation with the left and right, each one is trying to pull you to their cause and their philosophy and make sure that you vote for them, even if it's a last-minute decision. Then we went to another town, Ramat Gan, just near Tel Aviv, where George Hoish had to pick up his mother and bring her to the polls. And, uh, and uh, we all went through that. And in the evening, we all went back to the studio and tried to record. We did record. I think we managed to get one song in, when at midnight, we all had to stop and watch the, the results start to come in. And it was fascinating. We were sitting, there was a little television there. Needless to say, that night we didn't have dinner. As planned, we were going to have a banquet every night that night. We didn't have a dinner, if I remember right. And we just sat and, and we just stood there, Israelis and Palestinians alike, in, in like tension, watching the election. And uh, Bibi Netanyahu uh, was voted in, and that was the end of that. And the next morning we continued. So 
to give you um so how you- do you emotionally i mean i'm making a wild guess that you did not vote for bibi netanyahu's party right Mm-hmm. And that it, these these elections, I mean, as we speak, we're in the middle of an American election, a very emotional period in America about the destiny and identity of our country. But I think it's even more emotional in the Middle East because the uh, the closeness to violence and war is even greater. There's been so many wars as well as the Intifada and other things like that. So h- how do you inside your head go back and make art which which has kind of a political overtone to it by definition the collaboration between israelis and palestinians has some overtone to that and uh and and how do you change the channel in your head and get back into the music or or did it just come naturally it well it does it comes naturally because we're there we grow up in that environment it's like yeah. how do i sing how do i sing an emotional uh, intimate evening during while while the bombs are bombing and we're we're in in, in the midst of a war. Uh, this is something right, you which have, is also something you, you've done, yeah. Then I and I will continue doing wherever it is I, that I am, whether it's in Israel, of course, which is my prime. Uh, um, this is my home, but anywhere else where there's issues that I, you know, you you can dis you you disconnect yourself, but you know, as Dylan Dylan once said it, you know, and I and I know my song well before I start singing. We come prepared to the studio. Yeah, yeah. And we're so focused. And yeah. the people that are with us, they know why they're there. And they know what we're confronted with. With my Palestinian friends, we were all watching the, the end of the election. It was midnight. And also, we have to remember that uh, there was a rise of, uh, of, uh, of um, Yair Lapid, who, who suddenly got 19 mandates and was actually... he. Um, he created a problem for Bibi Netanyahu's election. It wasn't an easy election. Bibi had to contend with him and with, with, had, to, had to include him. He, he became the finance minister. But So we watched that night, and you, you, know, you always see there's, there's always and some... And he's even, just to explain to American listeners, he's even to the right of Netanyahu, is he? That's what it seems now. Yeah. But not, not when he got in. Back right. in 2013, he was like, me and you, kind of. You know, he was. Yet oh, he, very no- he had a more moderate uh, uh, image? He had, but his, he came from a household. We knew his father, Tommy Lapid, who was a, a writer as well and uh, an opinion maker, and started his own uh, uh, reform party in Israel in, uh, in the elections. Even my mother voted for him, and my mother was very left. But, of course, a year later, she said, Tommy has disappointed me. He's not following the... You know the the promise of his election, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Same as Yair Lapid, but Yair Lapid is already, you know, it's already six years. No, six. Sorry, it's three three years uh, since the election, and so he's been four years. He's already weathered, and he's he's got a, he's made up of different qualities than his father. He's more Israeli. His father was a Hungarian Holocaust survivor, so he's a much more Israeli, stern, and and he will move to the right if he needs to, and he will go back to the center. He's a center right. Yeah, and yeah. he certainly doesn't. I, I don't talk. We don't discuss. He's a good so friend, okay, but we don't. Okay. We don't need to. Get no, we that. don't discuss politics. That's what happens when you get into politics. Yeah. But coming back to my Palestinian friends, so that night we're watching, and they know as well as I know, that, you know, that we have a mutual feeling for each other, being Israeli and Palestinian, being Jewish, Muslim, and Christians. They know that this is not. Uh, and any any of this is not an issue that would that would create um, animosity 
an, an impossible situation where we couldn't talk to each other. We joke about it. We talk about it. Boy, do they know that when there's a war in Israel, I'm the first one to run to the front line to cheer and to help, you know, bring some kind of a positive vibe to the to what, whoever is under fire, whether it's the, Israel, the Arab villages, of course, the Israeli and the Jewish. And so they understand who I am. And in spite of all that, we, we have struck strong because we're, we're very true and, and we have integrity. And so their integrity doesn't allow for them to fall into the pits of, of politics, which is the promise of politicians to its peoples. We are, we are independent peoples, and that's why we managed to survive these turmoil times yeah. we've had. And, and I think, and I really do think that being an artist helps, but what the role of the artist in this, because we're artists and we can overcome these difficult moments, thanks to music, Thanks to camaraderie and, and, and friendship that we, you know, we, we're overcoming everything and we're creating these friendships. The role of the artist is to inspire the people who are not artists, mm. to show them a light. I'm not kidding. This is really an important role. And if we don't take it upon ourselves, at least we should acknowledge it. We should understand. Mm. As Steve Earle says, you know, not everybody has to deal with politics, but they right. certainly have a right to. And if they do or they don't, they're a light. Like Bob Dylan has always been a light for others. He's, he himself has never been part of any real movement. But everybody else has used Bob Dylan's yes. incredible creation, creation for, you know, to carry the... He's put the words in our mouths. And we like to use them. And we use them as a torch. Let me just shift again exactly. from another point of view. Because, uh, first of all, these podcasts are part of a, a network of people that are interested in spiritual matters... Uh, of all faiths and of no faith, but of the idea of something being bigger than just our flesh and bones and thoughts in our brains, that there's some essence, some people call it a soul, there's some other larger intelligence, some people call it God. And obviously, Jerusalem has been a center for all of recorded history of people arguing about the nature of God or uh, one way or the other. And um, in the Israeli context, the, 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 the more religious people are, often the less uh, open they are to uh, these kind of collaborations of what, of what you're doing. So you grew up in a complicated environment. You went to this Orthodox school. You've done all this work in Jerusalem where people of the Muslim faith, Christian faith, and Jewish faith come from all over the world to remember what they think is the essence of their belief system. How do how do you what what how do you come out on, on on all this? I don't think of you as being religious, but I do think of you as being a mystic, and I don't really have an exact sense of of what pushes you inside your 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 head. How how, how do you view that whole playing field? Well, first of all, um, I think uh, it's very difficult for me to say it about myself, but I, I think because I discussed this, I'm 60 now, so I've, I've had a lot of discussions analyzing myself mm. with others who analyze me, and I sometimes agree, sometimes I don't, I don't understand myself, what I'm being told, how I function. But what really promotes or moves me in, in these kind of directions you know, I also work with, with the handicapped in Israel. Uh, my, my father is the founder of, of the largest sports club for handicapped, disabled kids in Israel. We have 2,500 kids in wheelchairs. It's called Spivak. It's remarkable. Mm. So I've been working with them since I'm seven. I think everything that I've been put through in life, even moving to Spain suddenly, not, 
understanding a word of Spanish, not speaking any English, coming as an Israeli kid at the age of almost 12, um, it, it kind of taught me what humbleness is. Whether in, and, and I think I've embraced that. Like humbleness. Um, it's, it's really understanding that you're not in control of everything, but you can be part of everything. Hmm. I don't need to control the situation. I want to be part of it. I want to be part of it just like in, in martial arts where you get hit by, a, by you, know, you get a punch. You don't stand in front of that punch. You just move slightly to the side, let that punch go by you, and then you catch that energy and move it back to the one who, who attacked you and just show him that you can handle his punch. You're not gonna bring him down. I can't, you know, if I can't bring peace, to my own country and people, I can at least be part of a process. Mm. I can help, help people. For example, I don't deny myself from going and working with right-wing zealots who believe that it's their right to settle the, the Holy Land. I don't deny myself. I, I say I cannot, I cannot boycott them because if I do, I will never understand them. And then also they will never listen to me. There is always someone somewhere listening. Maybe it's not everybody, but someone. And when if you leave that someone, after he left, he after he listened to you, he found he encountered you in his own turf, and invited you, and was open to you being there. Maybe one of the several dozens or or a hundred people who were there, maybe one will hear it, and that one will be staying there, and he will he will help deliver the message the way he understood it. So I work with the zealots. I work with the, with the settlers. I don't, I don't boycott them, as I don't boycott uh, and, and don't deny the gays from being gay. I don't deny the handicapped from being handicapped. You have to work with these people. You have to work with everybody. I'm being blessed that I've been given all these incredible uh, tools with which to work, if it's music and a healthy body and, 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 and a, a clear mind. And I've been taught that being humble is not somebody who resigns to, to violence and allows it to happen. It's somebody who's proactive. I work to bring it down, to calm it down. And I've met some incredible people en route who are like myself. For example, in this country, Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul and Mary. Mm. His entire mission in life, especially in his advanced age now, I say advanced, I'm 60, so he's 76 or seven. He still works, I mean, feverishly mm. to bring you know, uh, understanding into communities in this country, which, which you know, in every, in every society, there's going to be a lot of problems. America is going through incredibly deep emotional problems that are on the surface now, especially in the, in, with this election. And in Israel, we have it in every corner. So I, the spirituality of it all, and I'm sure there's a spirituality to it, even though I may not be praying, every, you know, three times a day and all that, but I contemplate a lot. Hmm. Everything I do is contemplated. And the, what taught me and who taught me to contemplate, oddly enough, was in the Orthodox school I was in, Carmel College, when I was, I refused to pray and I refused to put the, the, the tefillin and, and be in the morning. Early. But I had to because it's a boarding school and you have to and you're only 16. So there you go. And I would go and, and I'd be somewhere else. My head would be constantly somewhere. And I remember the rabbi, Rabbi Rosen, once coming and tapping on my shoulder. And he says to me, like his deep but quiet voice is, Broza, I know you're, hit, you're running music in your head right now, but let me teach you something. If you don't pray with us, at least learn to contemplate. Think about you, 
the universe about the day that is about to unfold itself for you. Just take a few minutes for that, and I'm happy. I don't care what beat you go to. You just keep on bopping. You know, so, and you know, it was just a second. It was a split second. It didn't take more than 30 seconds for him to say that. And I, I thought, wow, he's actually, he's not throwing me out, and he's not pulling in me in in one direction. He's saying, just find your own, your own voice. Hmm. And that's what I've been doing. And I think that's, that's been my, my, I guess, my spiritual strength of, you know, weathering, even as an artist going through these United States, you know, playing in a lot of obscure places over the years because I don't have an audience in, in the Mississippi. I don't have an audience in the Deep South. I don't have an audience in most of the United States um, unless they're Jewish and it's a Jewish community. I'm talking about general audiences, and I want to reach out to them. So I've played in many places where I felt that I was so alone and it can be, it, it, and that's where humbleness comes in. Mm. You feel humbled because you're not anybody. You're just standing on that stage, and you have to connect and communicate. So, you, you, and, and then you go through through the failures. You know, you do things that fail, or you have a marriage that suddenly doesn't work, or you have friendships that have hardships, or your children go through a hard time. Everybody goes through these. These are normal, normative episodes in everybody's life, and you become closer to the integrity of who you are, which you probably discovered when you were 12 or 13, where you just be, started to become a, 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 an adult. And, and I think I'm, I'm very much in touch with that. I always have been. Uh, I may have had some moments in my life where I, f I forgot who I was, but I still kept on through the motion. And now at 60, I've, I've, I've kind of mastered it to some degree. I've yet to discover what will happen in the next few, in the next years that I have to live. But it, it gives me the spiritual freedom to maintain my, my, my happiness, which is the nirvana, the kind of the zen of my life. Mm. And, and by, for example, one of the most beautiful things that happened, I think perhaps the most important thing that happened during the East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem, eight days in the studio was one night, maybe it was the second or third night, I looked at the rapper, Muhammad Mugrabi, who was a fine young man in his, in his late 20s now, and as, as we were folding up and finished the, the dinner, we had a great dinner, the great day of recording, and he's about to leave and I'm asking him, so Muhammad, how, if I, what are the chances that I join you and come and visit the, the refugee camp where you come from and you live, which is the only refugee camp uh, in Israel and it's within the Jerusalem borders. And this is and, a refugee camp of, of displaced Palestinians? Yeah, from 1948 and from 1967. Yes. And, the, and it's called Shuafat. And it's a very violent and, dis and, a, and, a, and a difficult environment. It's an environment that perhaps should hold 5,000 to 10,000 people, and it's got about 80,000. 80, oh, my 80. God. No, no, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's a shame because it, it's within my country. You know, I don't know what happens in, in other refugee camps outside of Israel, in the West Bank and in Syria, Lebanon. But let's say this is – I can study this, and I can try and bring in some positive actions if I can as a, as a, as a – as a pleb, you know, as a regular citizen of Israel, but with the, con the connections and with, with the well intent good intentions. And with so, music. And with, of course. So Muhammad invites me to visit at night, and we go, and it's past midnight, and, we're, and, he sh and we go into this very, very small, dark um, studio that he has in a hot bath. It's a hot bath, Turkish baths, and inside the Turkish baths, the owner has given him uh, permission to set up a little studio in a tiny room that otherwise would have been a massage room um, and that's where he works out of and which all only proves to us that if you're an artist 
you're going to get your art out there no matter what, no matter wow. what the conditions are. And so I, I, he's sharing this with me, and he's inviting some of his friends from the camp to, to meet us at this midnight meet, and we jam a little bit and all. And, and then he takes us to his house where he, he grow, grew up and his father built it and all. It's a very, very uh, modest, you know, shaggy house. But it's it's his house. That's his that's his pride, and that's his home. So I feel a really positive, beautiful uh, experience there. And I asked him, is it a, is there a chance that I could maybe come back in in daytime and work with maybe play for some of the kids of the camp? And his, one of his partners, the guy who owns the uh, hot baths, says, "Of course, I'm in charge of the young of the youth movement here, of the youth uh, activities. And why don't you come uh, whenever you're ready? Tell us when." So a couple of months after, it's April, and I call him up and I say, uh, is it possible for, for me to set up a, a meeting with the kids? And sure enough, he invites us. And they celebrate, they sing for me, they dance for me. I filmed everything. Mm -hmm. And that was actually a turning point for me. It was the first time I felt that it was something that I could contribute in a world that I, there was absolutely no way I had any access to. And it was my, really, and this I want to go back to spirituality, which is what the podcast is interested in. Mm -hmm. So if I may confess, I believe that that really was one of the highlights and, and proofs of my connectivity to my own spiritual mm -hmm. integrity. I, I went through it. And, and not only did I go, I established then a workshop that would repeat itself for the next two and a half years for children, five to 15-year-olds. Now we're still continuing except it's so violent that now I cannot go into the camp because even those, those, during those times, my Palestinian partners, and there were many, they came to me and one time they sat me with about 15 of them around me, begging me to stop going to the camp because it's too violent, they're afraid something terrible could happen mm -hmm. to me. And, they did, and I said, you know, I don't think anything can happen. And if it does, it'll happen anywhere. I have to continue. And I was right. And we continued. And now the kids... I'm busing him out to the studio, the Sabrine studio, to continue those workshops. So we, you never give up. But I think that moment, that meeting, that first trip to the, to the, to the camp after midnight, and the following consequent um, meetings that I had during the recordings, I would go almost every night after for the next eight days, but the continuity of it through the children, can, you know, really... Um, how can I say it? I was as if as if I was given the prize of prizes mm. I was able to recognize in myself that even if I do it alone and nobody agrees and nobody believes in what we do if Muhammad thinks this is the right thing for them and he lets lets me be the one who brings in that form the form of discipline that they so want and I'm the, I'm the Israeli they mm. shouldn't even have me there then the, the spirit rises above everything else all right we cannot end on a better note than that uh i urge everyone listening to find the movie east jerusalem west jerusalem and or the album by the same name and david thank you so much for everything you do and thank you for joining me today